1: To another world of UX podcast. This is your host Darren Hood. Thanks everybody for joining me on today, and as always, a special welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. Well, we've done it again. Uh, we we told you we were bringing in all these voices. Around the world of UX, people who have a lot of fantastic things to say, and we've been talking so long, we have to remember to, <laughs> to stop recording, uh, but I've got another guest with me today on the talking Uh, the talk and shop segments here on the world of UX today. And I'm going to let the person introduce and describe themselves, but I have with me Dennis stone, who I will refer to him as a first gen UXer because he first started getting involved before the turn of the century in the discipline. He has a ton of experience, but Dennis, I, I don't want to say too much. I always like let having people introduce themselves. And as Debbie Levitt likes to say, tell everybody who you are and why they should care. Take it away, Dennis.
0: Thanks, Darren, for having me today. My name's uh, Dennis Stone. I've been in UI UX for roughly about, I would say, 18 to 20 years um, here in the Chicago land area. I started off after college, worked for a couple of consulting firms, wound up in academia, uh, taught several courses, uh, took several courses. And um, I got into UX through um kind of just happenstance right i started off as a front-end developer (laughs) and um i used to get some mock-ups and wireframes sent to me around 2000 2001 from uh back in the day we didn't have ux ui designers what we had was an art department mm-hmm. and uh, worked with them closely but what I would have to do is modify their designs to work between back then we had Netscape and IE <laughs> and they never really worked well together right as you as, as you probably know. So in order to get that line straight or something else you really had to know how to manipulate your pixels. And that's pretty much how I got into UIUX and from there uh, it's been a lovely career so far and I'm still doing it to this day. Yeah, that's great to hear, and
1: I'm going to say for the record, Dennis is probably the only person that when he says UI UX, I respect it because I know what he's saying. <laughs> he's he's talking yeah. about the back end and the front end. He's talking about doing two things. So some people are going to say, well, "What are you getting at? Why did he say that?" And Darren didn't say anything. That's why Darren didn't say anything. Let me explain that because I think that's perfect. And, and he's going to you're going to hear about his background. As as we go forward in the in the in the episode here, and you'll you'll understand too uh, why a lot of people say UI UX, and they say it because they're confused, uh, and they say it because they want to say UX because it's sexy, and they want that they want to lay that claim. But no, Dennis has actually done that work, and again, you you will hear. But let's go ahead and, and dive in, and, and we have our set bit of questions. I think Dennis and I are going to end up in a conversation, and we're going to leave this script. I I anticipate that. <laughs> today because we 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 could talk. We we probably could have recorded everything that we just uh uh, were talking about and it could have been an episode, but we'll we'll see where it goes. I I like to just do it from the hip and and we'll see what uh what comes up. So you talked about how you got into UX already. So I, I can skip that question. But how did you develop your expertise? How did you develop your acumen, your knowledge? What what was it that helped you to become you?
0: Yeah. Great question. So let me start off, uh, way back when, when I was in college, um, I went to college at DePaul university for a major in marketing and a minor in communications and roughly around two weeks before graduation, I did some internships over at the CTA in marketing. Uh, I had a job lined up to go out to Colorado to, um, back in the day, uh, marketing cigarettes, tell you the truth. Uh, all around, all the way out in Colorado would have to go bar to bar and sell uh, little pop-up things that you put on bar tables for, for cigarettes for Marlboro. But before I took that job, uh, I did an interview here in Chicago with um, a web publishing company. And I was the person that they did not select, but I was the backup. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered was that the person who they hired, um, decided to pursue other opportunities. And now we always have this conversation about fake it till you make it or or something (laughs) along those lines, right? So roughly about three weeks, and I kid you not, three to four weeks before graduation, um, I opened up um, a webpage at a computer lab. I never had a computer, never owned one. And I wanted to see how this stuff was made, this stuff being gifts and graphics and that sort of stuff. And I sat down and uh started learning how to do it by myself. Opened up text pad mm-hmm. and just started writing out HTML, oh getting save, <laughs> turning it around and seeing what would happen. Right. I used that skill set to get me into the first job. I want not say I really faked it. I didn't lie in the interview at all. I just told him my experience and what I did. Nice. Um and it sort of just skyrocketed from there, right? Um, and I started off as a front-end developer. So back to the statement that I say UX UI, I, I have done it. I have done the back end. I did databases with SQL Server. Wow. I built my own content management system from the ground up uh, when I was over at DePaul University just because I didn't want to use SharePoint. And then... <laughs> um, <laughs> I swear to God, all with access, right? <laughs> I could talk about that for hours. Oh my God. Wow. Um, just because I just wanted, wanted to use SharePoint at the time. And what I discovered is when I worked around 2000, 2001 in a company called March 1st. I don't know if you remember it. It was the largest consulting comp- company in the world for one year, and then it imploded. It was here in uh, Chicago. It was a Uh, sort of a merger between a company called Four Points Digital and US Web. Mm -hmm. And about that time, I was a front-end developer. JavaScript, um, HTML, there was no CSS back then, so everything was inline. And again, what I mentioned before is that I would get comps from the art department and have to build this stuff. And I got to the point where I wanted to know how they did it so I could do it. Mm-hmm. so I wouldn't have to rebuild everything from the PSDs. I could just do it in the PSDs the right way and then transfer it to my own skill sets. Therefore it would be easier. Uh, so I started looking into it, working with some people from the art department, getting really cozy with them. Then they taught me some things in Photoshop, mm-hmm. organic teaching, right? That That's how it worked. Right. I took a lot of, I asked questions all the time and I just discovered myself enjoying it. And I, when I was at DePaul, I made a promise to myself um, that I would never have to rely on anybody to get anything done because I've done that before, right? And they're like, <laughs> well, I'll get to it when I get to it. And then I got people breathing down my desk neck because I need they need it. So again, I just learned everything, more front-end development, uh, more UX UI, and um, more back-end stuff. And then when I was... In March first, then I went to a company called um, Integra Media, which is no longer around. With some friends, uh, I knew that if I went and worked for a university, I would have the ability to get a master's degree for mm-hmm. little money. Right? That, that there was some money involved, but I didn't have to pay for the courses. What they would do is I would have to get taxed for them. That's all. So oh, that's nice. I was a little bit burnt, bit burnt, bit burnt out at that point. So, um, I took a secretary job, right? Just, I wanted to go back to school. So I took a secretary job. Well, you know, that only lasted around four months until they figured out what I knew. Um, and they wanted to get rid of the (laughs) web developer there. So I made them a deal. I remember I made it in the Los Angeles, uh, not, not Los Angeles, but Las Vegas airport on vacation. I'm like, I will take the job for six months. You have to keep my current position open. And if you don't like me, you send me back to my current position because I'm here for my education. The education was a master's in new media studies. UXUI wasn't really still around around 2000, 2002, 2003 when I started off. I think that was a year. And what they did is they offered art classes. um, And what they also offered in there was... um, media studies along with some user experience courses, right? Mm -hmm. So I took all those courses, um, got a master's, and then I looked at the catalog again because I was still there and discovered that I did half. And at that point, they came up with a couple more classes for UI, UX over in the computer science department, right? Mm -hmm. So I figured that I already have half the courses done for another master's degree. Master's degree would be in computer science. So I'll take another six courses and wind up with two degrees. So that's what I did. And then halfway through that, what happened is I ran into a brick wall with a, nothing has to do, nothing to do with front end, nothing to do with UI UX, a database instructor. I got a D in database management. Uh And I went to the dean and around, roughly around three weeks before that, they had posted a position for a professor for like intro, um, I would say intro front end development, uh, interface development for uh, grad students. So I applied for that job. So I went fast forward three weeks later, roughly, I went in and talked to the dean about this guy. And I just said, "I, I just don't understand how I got this. Him and I are just not getting along well. He's not making any goddamn sense on why we're doing it this way. And she, halfway through the interview, she turns around and asks me, are you the dentist stone that applied for this position? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, let's do the interview for this position. I'll talk wow. to you about your problem with, <laughs> with the professor later, right? <laughs> so I wind up getting an uh, uh, adjunct position. And I did that for about eight years for front-end development and um. UXUI UI with DePaul University. And after I got my master's degrees, I decided to pursue other opportunities outside of DePaul. I wound up in consulting. So I've been here for roughly eight years.
1: Wow. That's phenomenal. You, you actually just, uh, you, you made me go down memory lane. That's something else we didn't know that we shared. You were a secretary. Uh, a lot of people don't know. Oh, yeah. I used to be, I, I told you before we started recording, yeah. I was actually the head of a word processing department for Arthur Young and company before they merged with Ernst and Winnie. Yeah. So I was around when they had the big eight. Uh, you you talk about Deloitte. I remember when it was Deloitte Haskins and Sells. So I, I remember, I remember Pricewaterhouse, not, not, not not (laughs) Coopers. It was Coopers and Librand and there was Pricewaterhouse. Oh, that's
0: right. That's the merge. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. So,
1: uh, So I'm all the way now. It's like the big four, but I was back there when it was the big eight. And and, uh, I was a secretary. I was a legal secretary. Also, I was a legal transcriptionist. So yeah, bring, bring back some memories with that. I used to type as fast as 120 <laughs> words a minute. I still go a hundred today, but it's, uh, uh I'm not that <laughs> fast. No. <laughs> yeah. Bring back a lot of memories. I was going to be a lawyer at one time too, and fell in love with, with, uh, with the law of the law. Um, world i guess i can call it that but uh when i said well you might have to i want to do corporate law but i said but if i go that route i might have to defend guilty people uh i don't like that
0: (laughs) yeah you know i worked at the law school in fact you don't know this either when i was at DePaul, i worked at the law school and and what i discovered is it doesn't really matter what you think it just matters what argument you're getting paid for yep yeah, and I, that's when it I got turned off
1: at that point. One of my professors actually volunteered. He said, You you are gifted for this. He said, When you're ready, I will write your letter of recommendation. So I already had my letter of recommendation. Two of them actually lined up. And uh, but no, I just walked away. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not defending I'm not defending guilty people. <laughs> it's, it's no. a brutal business. <laughs> yeah. So interesting stuff. What is your fondest memory as a UX professional so far?
0: I have a lot of them, right? Um, Cause I've been in this for a long time. Um, I, I'm, I'm really happy and I have fond memories of my teammates that I had throughout consulting, nice. but maybe, and, and I do a lot of things in consulting. I have an NDA and I'm usually the guy that you never hear about that does, does the work to be honest with you. And Most of my work um, has not been seen by the public. A lot of it's internal. Um, You may have seen some of the things, but one of the things I'm proudest of is a website, um, or I would say interactive media, because it goes beyond just a website. It's a whole ecosystem between the front-facing corporate site, their branding site, and their e-commerce site. And I'm really proud of that one because of the way that I came in um, again, we talk about UI UX, right? And I came in as a front-end developer because they needed help with it, mm-hmm. uh, building it out, right? We got the contract when I was over Hitachi halfway through because the other consulting firm didn't move anywhere, right? You've, you've probably been in positions where you hire one consulting firm and they don't deliver within six months and you bring on somebody else to do the work. Yep. Um, so we were sort of in there. But uh, the reason why I'm really happy about this one is because I was brought on as a front end developer and I grew in this position and I grew from an emotional intelligence position from a leadership perspective and from a stepping up to the plate um, perspective. So let me explain a little bit. So I came in, I was a front end developer. We had a client who um, was very tough and a lot of people didn't like the person. Um, She was rough around the edges. She was very, directive, uh, very decisive, uh, could rub people the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And I, during one meeting I spoke up and her and I took a liking to each other. And my boss at that time, who I will always, always endure love. Uh, Her name was uh, Ellen Dowd. I still keep in touch with her now. Gave me the responsibility of being sort of the quote unquote business liaison with her (laughs) and work with her, right? But what I didn't learn, what I didn't know at the time was what she was providing me was visibility to the top leadership at my Mm -hmm. previous firm. Mm -hmm. And also the ability to grow as a person. And, and that is why I'm fond of that. I'm not, And we deliver some kick-ass stuff at that point, right? Um, it was built on uh, IBM Wickham, uh, which was a content management system. We, had, okay. it, we worked with another third-party firm for the back end. And it was a grueling process. Um, if you talk to my wife, she won't forget it because I walked <laughs> in the door. Uh, I'll tell you this much. I walked in the door in October of that year and asked what we were doing in the summer. So I was on the road for eight, eight. I was on the road for eight months straight between North wow. Carolina and, and, and New York. So I'm really fond of that project and, and of that. Uh, besides that, possibly academia, because of the simple fact that I worked with some really great students that I keep in touch with today. And also, the reason why I like academic, uh, academia is because, as much as I have the ability to teach them, I keep. I wanted to do it in order to keep up with the newest technologies and understand what they were seeing, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's how we learn as professionals in the UX world, right? I'll drop the UI right now, but in the (laughs) UX world. (laughs) so That's awesome.
1: What do you think was the best decision you ever made as a UXer?
0: Wow. Um, You mean on the job or transitioning or... What would it, we
1: it could be job it could be decisions associated with the career it could be anything
0: don't, yeah, all right, so when I started off in consulting um a couple of things that I made some wrong turns on was um. <laughs> not having enough emotional intelligence, not listening to people, always thinking I knew it. So some of the best decisions I made was taking advice and learning how to take Mm -hmm. constructive criticism from people. Um, I talked to my brother a lot about it because I just didn't understand sometimes where people were coming from when I knew I was right. But what, what it comes down to is delivery timing and also Uh, One of the best pieces of advice and and things I took that I'm happy with is from my brother who told me that I should just sit in the back and just shut up because 95% (laughs) of the time somebody else in the room is going to tell or say something that you think is the right answer. And if they don't, then that's when you talk. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so I took that to heart. Um, And also just watching and how leaders move around projects and, and interact with people, right? That has been wonderful, and some of my best decisions I've made is just sitting back and watching people to grow as a human being.
1: Okay, awesome. Now we're going to flip to the other side of the coin, okay? A little bit. I'm even going to throw a new question in here. I think I'm going to start using going forward. Uh, so we looked at fondest memory, best decision. What was the biggest regret? Uh, And and maybe we can combine this biggest regret or slash worst nightmare that you ever had. I'm going to be doing a nightmare show soon. And I want people to, 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 to be aware of these. And some, sometimes people say, when you talk about that stuff, you're being a quote unquote, Debbie Downer. No, being a realist, being a realist. And and now we're talking about what happened. We're not talking about what you think is going to happen, what happened, because there's no matter what happened, you always overcame it or you, chose, you came up with a way to manage it. But I think people need to know about things like this. So yeah, a little bit of a curveball.
0: Yeah, no worries. Um, curveballs are always good with me. Uh, so my biggest regret or worst nightmare um, would have been getting kicked off a project because I have a very distinctive viewpoint that I don't like to fail. I mm-hmm. just don't. It's just <laughs> something that keeps me up. I will work around it, but my first gig um, within consulting was my biggest regret. And this position, it wasn't it wasn't the position because in consulting you sort of take what you can get not not all the time. But they put me on a business and an analyst role when I came as a senior consulting, right? As a senior consultant, and I didn't really care about you know the titles or anything else. But in this role this role laid the groundwork for how I see things. Mm -hmm. And the biggest regret is not understanding what my leadership is asking from me. And what they say is not always what you hear. And during this engagement, he kept telling me that I'm going to be tested, that I need to know what I'm talking about in front of getting the leadership. Uh, And I sort of blew it off. Right. Not knowing what he was, what he was going to do. And sure enough, one day he comes in and starts asking me all these questions I should know answers to. And I didn't know bumpkiss because I do two things. I was so turned around because I was brand new in consulting and I don't think I understood what he was asking for. And although I felt that I was getting help from my teammates, I don't think I was asking the right questions. But he sort of overlooked that. And then he said, he's going to do it again. And I got saved by the bell because if he did it again, my biggest nightmare would have come true. And I probably would have got kicked off the project. Mm -hmm. My first project in consulting, I would have got kicked off because I didn't know what I was doing. But after that, I learned in order to become better is I asked the questions differently And I sat down with my team members and not forced them, but asked them to help, right? Because that's the biggest problem that I think people have and turns into nightmares is people can't ask for help because they either seem like they're failing Mm -hmm. or they don't know what they're asking for. Yep. So So I don't really have a lot of nightmares or worst case scenarios. I mean, yeah, I stick my foot in my mouth. Every once in a while, um, I might get frustrated with with my leadership and tell them no. But there, I've never done anything I can't recover from, right? Right. Because I I know where the line is, and and also it goes back to the uh, the things that we talk about is emotional intelligence, right? Which mm-hmm. which I'm growing at now. So,
1: okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, so we nailed nailed those, uh, kill two birds with one stone on that one. Oh, okay. So we flip back over. <laughs> yeah that's that's cool what do you think has been yours not that far away uh really but what do you think has been your biggest challenge in 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 uh, ux
0: um my biggest challenge sometimes is most of the time is people don't understand the value i bring to the team Mm -hmm. um because i work in consulting i hold many different hats as we talked about um you know a lot of people are Today now separate UI UX, but um, for example, the project I'm on right now is um, I started off as a UX UX um, user experience specialist. I turned the role over to a user user interface designer. I turned it over to a designer, and then now I am the developer. (laughs) So what what I'm trying to get at is the biggest thing is what value do we bring to a team that already has a developer, mm-hmm. a business analyst, a bit project manager. And I usually let my work speak for myself at the end of the day and how I bridge the gap between all three people because a project manager understands how the project is supposed to be run. Right. Yep. A developer understands the back end through the business, through the BRD, the business requirements documentation and how it's supposed to be do, done. But the misnomer and the things that I bring is the cohesiveness between those two. Yeah. And and like that. I can't speak for anybody, everybody, but I'm I'm unique. Well, you know, your mother always tells you you're unique, but um <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have the ability to cross all of them. Right. Also, I haven't mentioned I'm a safe, I'm certified as a safe agilist. Mm -hmm. So I am sort of a project manager too. Um, But I see it through all the different lenses. Yeah. So the misnomer is what do I bring to the team? I bring a cohesiveness and I can also save in consulting. It comes down to hours and money. Is it any firm? Right. I can save money and we can save money as UX and sometimes UI professionals by getting the problems out ahead of time before it goes to development. But I can demonstrate that because I understand what the problems are in development because I also have worked with offshore developers and I could talk about that where I bridge the gap, right? There was one project, here's a misnomer, right? So I don't usually tell people my skill set at the beginning because I want to focus on UX UI, But they've also at my old firm understand I could do project management. So what I would do is I would come in as a UX UI, UX UI lead for ten weeks, scope out the project, do the BRDs, do the wireframes, do the user interface, while still managing the project. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I would bring the developers on offshore. Well, if you know anything about development they do not like touching the front end. They don't. <laughs> they just don't. Especially if you are on a SharePoint project, the only thing a SharePoint developer wants to do is out-of-the-box solution. They don't want to customize it. They don't want to do anything. So the misnomer was, how are, we going to, how are you going to make this project work? Fine. You give me four SharePoint developers, you want to create a customized SharePoint thing, no problem at all. What I would do is walk in the first meeting, have a conversation with them. And they're like, well, we don't want to touch the HTML front end interface. I'm like, great. You got 10 weeks to development. I will give you the front end interface because I know how to do that. And I could do that in two weeks, but you will not give me any problems on the back end. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> this is how it worked. I delivered it two weeks in front of, I'm like, I will save you time and I will give you the front end but you're not going to come back to me and tell me you're running over budget and you're not going to have any problems with the back end because the only thing you have to worry about is the back end. And you guys just told me five minutes in the conversation. (laughs) That's what your specialty (laughs) is. Right. So that's where I save money. And that's one of the biggest misnomers is the value that we bring to it. And let me just, let me ask you this question. Sure, What we hear about today are people in UX UI, And there's a conversation sometimes, and it's sort of dwindled off a little bit. Well, should UX UI people understand coding? Should they be coders? Should they understand front-end development? Mm -hmm. My answer is, I don't think you necessarily have to do it, but you have to understand the theory behind it in order to have a logical conversation with people. Because in today's marketplace, I don't think things are as siloed as they come off. In, in resumes or LinkedIn, it has to be a holistic team. Yeah, and, yeah. and if you want to lead that team, you don't necessarily have to know how to make the sausage, but you should have an idea, the theory, and how to make the sausage. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? For me,
1: I, I, I get this question. Of course, it comes up a lot. Uh, having been a freelance web designer back in the day, uh, using front page, using NetObjects Fusion, using home site, a home uh, site, using a hot dog, yeah. uh, using Corel Webmaster Suite. I mean, I've used a lot of stuff and then I finally got into Dreamweaver and I got rid of all that stuff. I had an understanding of what it took before CSS came in into play and, and after CSS. Came into play and I couldn't write JavaScript and I couldn't I couldn't write PHP code. But for some reason, I could edit both of them and I knew how to put together CSS. And I would actually do everything in the WYSIWYG interface and then go and study the code. Yep. Nobody's ever heard me talk about this before. What it what it afforded me was and the way I ended up approaching it as a UX professional was that it helped me to empathize with them. Okay. It helped, it helped me to understand what they, what the developers were going through and what, what the workload was, the, the burden of the workload that was on them and some of the different constraints and challenges that they had. But I always backed off and I'll just, I will listen to you when you tell me you have constraints, you have issues. If there's something going on, I would listen to them and I would trust them. And I know that trust is a key aspect, it's a key aspect of emotional intelligence it's a way to when you trust your teammates, you're basically uh and, and that helps you to keep the team dysfunction at bay. And mm-hmm. Patrick Lencioni talks about that, that one of the biggest problems when you have dysfunction in a team, trust is one of the biggest issues there. So so I can trust them. I know what they're talking about. If they tried to run a game on me, I knew enough to know, no, you can do it because I've done it before. <laughs> because mm-hmm. one of the things I found out over my career is that and I know some people are going to really either crack up or be angry about what I'm about to say. But it folks on average are some of the laziest people I've ever seen in my life. If, just, just <laughs> regularly. They don't want to do it. And so they, what, what I'm getting at is that they were constantly tell you, I can't do this, but the subtitle says, I don't want to do it. And there were so many times in my career, I would find people that say, if you can't do it, Say you can't do it. And then explaining why anytime somebody did that, I was good with it. But when they said, I can't do it, drop the microphone. No, no, no. Pick that microphone up because I know that you can do a, B, C, D and E, and I can show you a and B and I'll let you take care of C, D and E. So long story short, I, I learned to trust. I think I, I bank on my relationship with the people doing the development work. We're going to be Mm -hmm. able to talk. We're going to be able to interact. We're going to be able to share knowledge with each other. We're going to be able to work together. We're going to be able to collaborate, but you go do your thing and I'll do mine. And that's the way that I've run pretty much my entire UX career.
0: Yeah. There has to be trust.
1: Yep. Trust that that's my, that's my currency. I'm going to trust it. I want them to trust me. And I'm going to, and I'm going to trust them. You you remind me of a conversation we had with a team I worked with not too long ago. And some of them would probably be listening to this and they're going to remember this conversation. And our boss said, "Uh, I want all of you to tell me what you want from the rest of the team to help you be successful. And my answer was pretty shocking. I said, I want to be understood. I, I, I didn't ask for, I didn't ask for a license to Figma. I didn't ask for, for any, any tools. I didn't ask for anything uh, that, that people would have expected. I said, I want to be understood. If I say something or if I do something and you don't understand, talk to me. Because then when you get an understanding, now we can engage in mutual professional respect. And that's a currency that takes a team a long way. And, and, and people pretty much just froze when I said that, and that because it's a challenge. At, at the same time. But.
0: Yeah, I'm experiencing that in my current project, right? They were trying to figure out, again, what do I bring? Um, well, we're building something from the ground up that's never been built before. It right? um, has a lot to do with maturity and, and um, the military. And it's never been done before. And they wanted to know why, not they, but I could see it sometimes of what is it that you're going to bring to the team that the other people can't. Well, what I bring into the team is the visibility of what you're all talking about is how it's going to work, how it's going to function. And it took about eight months to get to where we're at We're at right now. We're not even close to being done. Right. So it, it's that whole trust thing. And, and again, being understood. And now we're all on the same page and we like each other. Well, we liked each other at the beginning, but they understand what value I bring now. So, yep. I just thought of one other
1: thing, too, that I want to add on to my answer to your question there. So I want to throw this out because we, we got plenty of time. If okay. you got plenty of time, I got plenty of time. Yeah. We're, we're doing good on time. because um, I know somebody's gonna is gonna come back and ask me about the question you just asked me. And I think that I need to add some icing to that cake. From an educational perspective, I think that's the best way for me to phrase my to frame my answer. I do not, nor will I, in my in my pedagogical practice as an, as an as an educator, I will not spend any time teaching students how to code, zero. I have seen some programs where people have started to do that. And when I consider the fact that I've said on my podcast before, I've been doing UX now since 1995. What we now know as UX since 1995. I've been doing it part-time since 2000. I, was, I started doing it part-time in 2002 yeah, during the day. Then I started doing it full-time in 2005. From 2005 to 2022, I have never lifted a finger to write one fraction of a line of code. What I have done is engage with the people who do. So this gives more color and more clarity to the answer I just gave. I engage with them. I collaborate with them. I answer questions for them. I ask them questions. Uh, But I have never... And it has, it's partially to do with where I've worked as well, because if you work for a startup, you will you might end mm-hmm. up being asked to code. It's pretty realistic to expect that. But I, I think I've been pretty fortunate to be pretty high up on the food chain at the companies where I work. When I wasn't working Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000, the companies I worked with have been uh, at the top in whatever arena they were in, so I've never had to, I only one or two companies I worked for were not. So uh, I didn't have to code. There was always somebody available to code. So when the structure of the organization allowed me, basically that's one of the reasons why, no, zero code, but as an educator, as as a professor at Kent State, as a professor at Harrisburg University, as a professor at Lawrence Tech University, as a as a professor uh, about to become a professor, and and uh, de- designing the Masters of CX program, which is tied to this CX of M Radio Network, uh, there will be no education about code coming from me. There will, however, be I will talk to people about the importance of those relationships. I heard somebody say in in a, an event earlier today. We work together. We are a part of a whole. We accomplish what we accomplish together. If if you don't engage with that development team, you're gonna have some difficulty accomplishing your goals because you're not gonna get from point A to point Z just with your UX. And you're not gonna get from point A to point Z just with your development work. You're not gonna get from point A to point Z just from your BA work or any Mm -hmm. of those disciplines. We're a team. So, but I don't need to be good at what you do in order to get the job done. I just need, I need to trust you. I need to value you and I need to have understanding. And it doesn't mean that you don't grow an understanding of it, but you don't have to be, you don't have to be the baker.
0: Yeah. I'm in the same boat. And if you go back to, to what I said earlier, I don't remember at this point, if it's during this podcast or earlier at this point, but, um, I've, I never want to be caught in a lurch anymore yep so that yep. that's why i keep up with it but i do not want to do it on teams that i work with because usually i have back-end developers but if i need to or if the team needs me to i can always fill a gap yeah that's yep. how i stay relevant right that's how i stay relevant important to my team uh market ready And 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 that sort of stuff. And in fact, it just helped us out on this project that I'm currently on because of my understanding of code. I picked up Power BI now, right? So now I'm a Power BI developer. Wow. Not that I want to be full time, but it's something I put in my toolbox now.
1: That that that's interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: I've done heuristic work on Power BI.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm a full fledged, not full fledged, not the best one, but I got into in the last eight months to where, where it's pretty, it's a pool. It's a cool program. It really can do, it it can really do damage in terms of presentations of, of heuristic and and analytical data sets.
1: Yeah. And and I'm I'm even going to pause for, uh, for the cause here, for people at this particular part of the, of the show, I think there's something critical that Dennis is bringing up. Don't miss an opportunity To make yourself more marketable and more of an asset. If there's something that comes up that you can get into that you can add to your repertoire, to your toolbox, to your arsenal as a UX professional, and you have an interest in it, by all means, why not? I mean, as a UX professional, I have... I've done all the UX work. I've done the usability work. I've done the heuristic work. I've done the information architecture. I've done different types of research. I've done the interaction and the interface design. But you know what else? I worked at one company, and they were trying to also address user uh, adoption issues and change management hmm. issues. So... I applied my knowledge of user adoption and change management. And I also, because I have an instructional design background, I put together a learning center to help people adopt a new product. And I recorded and <laughs> produced all the videos. I did all, talk about accessibility. I I created all the closed captioning. I did all the production. So I had not just UX, video production, audio production. I did all the editing. I did all the recording. I did all the voiceover work. I saved the company Twenty to thirty thousand dollars in voiceover work because I could do people say here's my my here's my podcasting voice you know let's do that just for the effect here but I did I did the voiceover work and they were about to hire somebody heard the demo video that I did and just dropped it they loved my voice on the on the voiceover so did I just so opportunities don't have to be strictly u x <laughs>
0: So get this, you'll love this one back on that. And like I said, we could talk for hours, but no, but here, here, it is something you talk about opportunity. I was only supposed to be on this project for four to five weeks, just doing the UI UX, right? Wow. I raised my hand because power BI developers are hard to come by right now uh-huh. because there's such in demand. And then now I'm being extended on the project because of change management. Because I have experience in change management. Wow. I have experience with project <laughs> management. They're not my tool. They're not the selling point, right? Because as we talked earlier, I want to focus on UX UI, but I like the team. I like the project. So why not just get extended a couple more times and, uh-huh. and, and keep my change management skills up, up to stuff, right? I don't always have to do UX UI, although that's what this is all about. Right. I understand that's really important. I understand people want to stay in their own lane. But if the more you know, the better off you are. Sort of like that um, what is it, CBS commercial? Uh, the more you know or something like that. Remember back when we were I, growing yeah, up?
1: I remember that. Yeah. That and they put the little rainbow the comes star, out yeah. and knowing <laughs> is half the battle and all that. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, one's half the battle is G.I. No, Joe, G. my I friend. Joe, that's right. Don't that mess is G.I. Joe. I know the <laughs> one you're
1: talking about though. I know the one you're talking about. Uh, yeah, because I'm, I'm a big family guy person and they did a spoof on it. And I remember oh, the, the more you know. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah,
0: I don't remember don't when it's called. G.I. Joe. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know In why. In fact, G.I. Joe, uh, uh,
0: General Hawk, what is it? Hawk is actually one of my personas on this project. His real name oh, was good. actually, we needed to pick some kernels and we picked uh, Hawk. I'm not, I, I swear to God. You <laughs> <laughs> didn't even leave me into this one. But yeah this is funny stuff
1: but uh man next question yeah next question this is where we shift this is where we really we get ready to really get into the weeds uh, okay what observations about the discipline so we're now we're looking at the discipline oh yeah at large what observations about the discipline today stand out to you and feel free to fire away questions at me too this is where we get <sighs> into the convers- conversation mode now
0: <laughs> this is where I'm going to either get Get people really upset, or, (laughs) or, oh God. Um, All right. Some folks need to be upset. So here we go. (laughs) Today, what I'm discovering is people only want to do one thing. They either want to do research, or they want to do the wireframes, or they want to do development. They, they don't want to understand to me, the discipline from start to finish. Mm -hmm. That is mind boggling to me. And it's mind boggling to me is how much I need to do things. I need to build things. I don't know if it's my own personality or not. I can only do research for so long. That's why I'm not going after my PhD. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) I can't spend years doing research without knowing what the outcome is. Right. Right. I don't understand why everybody wants to do. And I looked at this on LinkedIn. We sort of touched upon this earlier. Why yeah. everything's about UX research right now? That's it. It's right? how many how many people can talk about UXU research? How many people can have, um, was it learning sessions that they charge for about UXU UX, UX research? Again, I, I got to drop the UI right now because we just got strict, strictly strictly <laughs> the UX. <laughs> but how many, how many people have need different voices in this, right? It's, it's research. Yeah. I'm not trying to diminish it at all. I just personally don't understand it. And the other thing that really pisses me off right now is that you need to have a point of view. Everyone wants to be branded, have a brand. You know, we we talked about this a little bit. I don't know the full conversation of what happened, but sort of Don Norman came up in the news last week about I'll I'll say race baiting or or some part people said he said white supremacy in a book or something like that. Now people are going off the rails on that. But at the end of the day, we all call ourselves U X U I people that want to be holistic and inviting and everything else. But now everybody has to have a position on something yeah. and, and to me, create stuff out of nothing. So, so those are two observations that I don't understand. Maybe you can help me on this. Why, why is it that everybody wants to be siloed into, and maybe I'm just viewing this differently. Why everything's UX, UI, re- oh, pardon me. I can't say UI because <laughs> but why, why everything is UX research right now, everything what? on LinkedIn so
1: two things, Everything. two things. And, and that's a great, that's a great point that you bring up. uh, And, and one of the things I'll, I'll repeat something I mentioned earlier, a lot of people don't know it, but prior to 2011, 2012, specializations in UX were pretty much non-existent. You were, you were either an, still an information architect because a lot of people transitioned out of that, or you were an interaction designer. There, there were a few experienced designers then, but, but all of those people, no matter what your titles were just titles, it really didn't have anything to do with the work a lot. We did everything. If you were an architect, you did everything. And one time, if you were an information architect, you did everything. I was actually some, some people got angry at me because in Metro Detroit, I started noticing, hey, I went to my boss one day and I said, we're, we're, our title is information architect, but we do research. We do heuristic evaluations. We're doing interaction design. We're not just doing information architecture. And, and I've been noticing that in around the country, the, the phrase or the title of UX designer or UX architect is coming up. I think our title should be changed. And it was. Everybody in Detroit prior to that was an information architect. So I lobbied for it, got the change, and uh, somebody got mad because I said I was, I came up with that in Detroit. Uh, and they'd like to fight me on it, but hey, proofs in the pudding, it, it did happen. And I did that at two different companies and it became the norm, but you, but we did everything. And that was my point that it didn't make sense to call us information architects if we did everything. Fast forward to 2011, 2012, and then even beyond, as, as you said, now people are, they want to focus on research. They they, And that's usually one of the specializations, UX writers which people have heard me talking about that. And I've got a, a show that's coming up in the not too distant future where I'm going to audit some UX writer job posts to help illustrate the fact that there really is no such thing. Uh, and nobody is dealing with writing 40 hours in a week. That, that's, there isn't enough writing to even, to even cover. So, so that doesn't even make sense. But the funny thing is the stuff that they're doing, we used to do it as information architects <laughs> and, or the copywriter was doing it. So you have all of these specializations and the funny thing about UX research, and I'm a UX research manager now, but I, I do more than UX research. I'm, everything I talk about is not UX research. But the the funny thing is I see a lot of people who want to do UX research. They want to specialize, not realizing that you actually will be a better researcher when you are more holistic in your understanding of the discipline if you don't understand information architecture that's going to ask it's going to create problems for your research if you if you don't understand heuristics that's going to create a problem for your research cuz a lot of people they just get into just doing researchy things but they don't understand when you have a broader understanding of ux you have a more strategic mindset <laughs>
0: All right, so let me ask you this question. Let me follow up on this one. So, and and this is where my ignorance plays in, plays into it, right? Because you and I talked about it. I don't. I've I've been at the same. We haven't talked about, but I mean, you just have to look at my resume. I'm I'm not a job hopper, right? Right. So I know what I do. I know what I like. I I'll I do it all. So help me here understand this a little bit from again from my ignorance standpoint. I fully admit I'm I'm ignorant in this right now. If you're a UX researcher. Mm-hmm. Coming into the field, and I know that people are having problems getting jobs. We talked about this. Is it that when you're done with the research part of it, you literally hand over all your research to the architect and then they take it and then you're just done? Yeah. So so then if you're at a company that has a product... What do you do with that? Do you just, are you done at the company or do you go back and do more research on the product Just continue on the development? One of the things that I see, uh, not just
1: where I am, I don't know how much I can talk about where I am.
0: Don't talk about where you're at because you probably have an NDA. <laughs> but what I do know
1: about the discipline, and yeah, because I don't even have to talk about where I am at all. Yeah. I can talk about my perspective yeah. as a manager, but I can talk about what I see and what people share with me is that there's usually a huge um, for lack of a better word, I'll say backlog. There's a lot of research that needs to be done. And, and I've always been an advocate for uh, not only just focusing on research because people, when they think about research, they think about projects. So they get tunnel vision and they, okay, so I'm going to do research on this project and maybe two or three others. There's more than two or three projects, usually research projects or things that um, uh, initiatives that are in need of data, in need of being data informed. So if any work that needs to be data informed, the research team is going to be on that, especially if the company is supporting that. And there's a growing number of companies that is supporting or that are supporting being data driven in, in their in their in their design efforts. So that's huge. That's huge for for UX research. So you have projects, but then you have benchmarking. We need to identify what's going on in our organization with regard to all all of our initiatives where there's not a current project. We have to benchmark everything because we need to understand where we are. We don't want to get blockbustered. If you get mm-hmm. my drift. So, mm-hmm. so that if you, if you don't understand what your current state is and revisiting yeah. it regularly, that's
0: enough to keep a UX <sighs> research department pretty busy, but you need to have, and you talk about this and we've talked about this. You need to have an organization that has a mature bingo UX yeah. model then in place yeah. in order to do this. Right. Yes, you do.
1: Otherwise you get the flip side of this. The thing, uh, a phrase, I I believe I coined it recently. UX hamsters.
0: Okay. You they just keep doing the that,
1: same thing. Just, you just keep doing stuff just for the sake of doing stuff. A lot, I, I interviewed at a company once and they told me, I can't remember if there was the recruiter or the manager that told me this. They had 900 UX people on their team. I'm not going to say who the company was, but just, you just, you just look down and, and you, you by thinking the same thing, uh, you just adjusted yourself in your chair. Right, just- if, <laughs> if you have 900 people on your UX team, uh, something's wrong. Something, yeah. And, and because it doesn't take 900 people to get UX work done. I don't care what's going on. So, and and then I heard from someone else right after that, about two months later, that said that they had 550 people, something like that, approximately 550 people, which mean that if, if those are, if everything's accurate, that means that they got rid of approximately 350 to 400 people on their UX team, uh, between the time that I interviewed and uh, another conversation two to three months later, so it, it and it's because they somebody realized that there's a bunch of hamsters, and by hamster I mean that they're you've you seen everybody's seen a hamster in a hamster wheel. Yeah, yeah. They jumping up, they jump in the wheel, they run, 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 and that are no
0: going toward
1: and, then, and gone absolutely nowhere. When you get off the wheel, you're in the exact same spot. There's a lot of UX hamster work going on in UX today, where people just do stuff and and people are doing research, but they don't have strategy. They're doing research, but they don't know how they know how to analyze data, but they don't know how to synthesize it. And, and and when they do, or or if they do, it's not definitive. So they'll just do the work and then throw it out there. And, And I see people who they wait for the, for the stakeholders to make the decisions, but no, we have to be definitive. I did a talk in San Francisco uh several years ago. I believe it was 2015. 2015, 2016. And it was really about how that UX is actually a leadership function. And we have to see it that way. So when yeah. you yeah, so when you're doing the work, hey, this is what I recommend we do. And it always should be followed by, and this is why.
0: And this is this is something you know where my again my ignorance plays because I I've been in consulting for 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 a week, we've talked about this I keep saying this for eight years and more than that at this point but I maybe I'm benefited of this I I have several benefits of this and I put my position self in this position is that I still do the same things I did twenty years ago I look again with a lot different viewpoints yep. more maturity more emotional intelligence. But I run the I, I run the interviews. I run and then I create the you know all the artifacts, the BRD, um, the wireframes, and then at times if we don't have a designer, I'll, I'm not the best designer, but I'll design it. And I and and I can take their design patterns, whatever the companies are, and mold them into the wireframes, right? So so that's where some of my ignorance comes in. But I appreciate you clarifying that and how that can work in a, in an organization. That that opens up my eyes a little bit. Yeah. And then, like I said, the other thing, everyone seems to be very decisive in terms of conversations nowadays in our, in our community, depending upon what it is and and what what they they have to take a viewpoint. Prove that they're right and everybody else is wrong. And I'm just like, okay, this is just getting old. This is nothing more than what Facebook used to be. And you know, there's a great meme out there right now saying, you know, 10 months ago I was a scientist. Now, now this week I get my degree in uh (laughs) geopolitics, right? That's what I see on LinkedIn from time to time. Just like, okay, I get it. I'm not getting involved in this conversation. Just (laughs) moving on i don't feel i have to prove anything at this point maybe it's my ignorant maybe it's my arrogance maybe it's the fact that i just don't want to get involved in it and again i'm not i'm not putting myself out there with with a lot of blog posts and all this other stuff i don't have a course by the way mm-hmm. or you know that sort of thing <laughs> i'm not you know it, it is what it is right i just find right. it interesting
1: i did just find that that uh post that don norman post Oh, you did? The thing that, yeah, where someone was upset uh about something that Don Norman supposedly said. And and they uh and I, I I've been seeing people talk about this, and I said, No, I said, uh, I said, this is actually this thing actually reeks of trolling. And so then somebody said, Well, he's actually a repeat offender. I'm like, excuse me? And and, and they and so I said I said funny I'm I'm reading what I actually said funny thing about the statement I'm going to backtrack I'm going to go backwards so we can give the whole you know let let me let me go back first it it won't it won't uh, help anybody out if I don't give the context so somebody said and and it only of course goes so far back someone said that they've been the they've been the subject of vicious and unprovoked attacks by older white academic men who are far more powerful and influential than me, quote, unquote. Uh, These men are called, and then she named, the person names the people that were supposedly um, provoking her and being vicious toward her. Notice, if you will, because I'm going to start dissect this right here. Um, There is no evidence here. She just said, they attacked me. Uh, it, it it I mean, it almost comes across like a, I, I gotta say it. It comes across like a they call it a Karen situation uh, because where's the attack? Because I'm not I'm not seeing it. I, it. You just they just said you atta- they attacked me, and then she said who attacked her, and then this is where Don Norman, and I, I believe he did get involved. I remember seeing another post where they were he didn't like the fact that his friends were being called out. And he came to bat for his friends. He didn't say anything sexist. He didn't say anything derogatory. Uh, and, and 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 I just clicked on the link where somebody said that Don Norman is a repeat offender. This is literally what Don Norman said. Gee, All my friends. And I just read the two preceding tweets. Yeah. yeah. I've read them without saying their names because their names don't need to be said. I'm not going to contribute to I, I'm going to tell you now I see this as a trolling scenario, and I do not support trolls. and And the troll population oh, in UX <laughs> is is off the charts. It's ridiculous. And trolling is is marked by people who make issues out of nothing. People try to make themselves relevant. they try to demonize somebody who's done nothing. You can just sit there and look at them. And then they, they say that you thought something. And then there's a bunch of posts about what they said that you thought. And now everybody's talking about their imaginary conversation with you. That's what's happening here. Again, I, I didn't finish reading what Don Norman said. Um, Gee, all my friends, why not me? So he was upset about his friends. That's all he said. Aren't all white males sexist? That is, he's being facetious. He's not, that's not a serious statement. He, he's trying to, he's, 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 he's trying to make a point. Colonialist, colonialist, colonialist. Oh, that was it. Talk here, That was it. Yeah. Yeah. You too. And then he said, women are sexist. He's right. <laughs> he's actually. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Right. I see what you're talking about. Yeah and, yeah. and then here's one of the preceding things Then someone said, I'll just leave here. What Don Norman wrote about me when I called out his friends for sexism. See, that's apparently where it started. She called out the friends. We don't know what the friends did. We're not talking about the friends. We're talking about Don Norman. So, uh, and dismissal of scholars for color in the cesspool that is the PhD design list in January 2017. No, I will not let it go ever. This idiot needs to be removed. See, this is a troll move. Okay, you don't like what happened? Deal with that. Don't try to eliminate what this person has contributed to the discipline in one fell swoop. Trolls try to to cancel. That's called cancel culture for those that don't know. And that's where trolls thrive. They want to, oh, he ran over my toe. Uh his house needs to be torn down. You know, that that's a bit of an over, it's called overreaction. It's not an, an EQ thing to do browing <laughs> from my recent uh podcast but let me finish saying what she says here i'll leave here what don norman wrote about me when i called out his friends for sexist I, I read that no i will not let it go ever this idiot needs to be removed from design curricula there's nothing that justifies that there's nothing that justifies that then there is a um an email from don norman why are you posting emails from somebody on social media for everybody to see? That's a troll move. And, and and it's funny. I'm not even going to read what was in this because I'm not going to give it any any more. uh it's from uh, 2017, though. Yeah, it's from 2017. This is 2022. That's five years ago. And and people they they get bitter. They hold grudges. And, and now it's all about what Don Norman said and did. I as a person who has been counseling people. Something that people don't know about me, I've been counseling people for 30 plus years, longer than I've been doing UX. And one of the things I found out, when people come to you and tell you about an issue, but they don't tell you what they've done, you better watch your back. Because when people try to get you to point the finger or join them in pointing the finger at somebody that supposedly did something wrong without telling you what they may have contributed or how they may have caused the scenario, you got somebody that's playing a blame game. And you need to steer clear of that. I learned that the hard way. And now I I watch it. There was nothing. There is no offense here. Matter of fact, the email still has the same information that was in the, um, that was in the tweet. So I, I have been the victim of this. I've been victimized by this where people say I said something I didn't say. And then they try to make an issue out of it. And I had somebody come and label me. I talked about this on a recent episode. They labeled me. Debbie Levitt and Dr. Nick fine as quote unquote, a pack of wild dogs because of how we responded to someone that was actually trolling me. But unless we're going to be fair, be equitable, look at the situation for what it is. We're, we're not doing, we're not uh, doing right by folks when we don't do things like that. And then and I told the person to, uh, I said, funny thing about that statement uh, from Norman is that he's talking about similarities of cognition across all people, because there was another statement. He he basically said that all people, designed for all people, that basically, and I this is my paraphrase, cognitively, people are the same. You, you find out what's going on cognitively, you design for it, boom, you're done. That That's what we do. Uh, and so I said, that deduction is correct, but I have yet to see anything where he actually made a derogatory statement. He didn't. He was just concerned about his friends being attacked. And so then the person said back to me, did you happen to listen to the conversation in the initial link? And I said, yeah, I saw it about a week ago, but I think he was baited. Part of it, he was baited. And that's also what trolls do. This is an issue in, in social media today, uh, for UX, somebody will say, well, Darren it's for everything. Yeah, it is. But we're talking about UX, right? So we're trying to UX is the baby. UX still needs its diaper change. UX still needs people to, to caretake for it. And that, and that's what we're doing as part of what we do on this podcast, but people can't, um, they, they, they can't, we cannot facilitate trolling. Uh, it was funny. The, the guy came back later on and he said, uh, yeah, my, my response has actually been deleted. Uh, he said, I believe that the person who started this was sincere. Uh so I'm gonna put my response back in here. Uh, <laughs> said, uh trolls are <laughs> trolls are sincere. <laughs> trolls are sincere. <laughs> They're sincerely wrong. But and, and somebody deleted it. I thought it was funny that somebody deleted deleted it, which is also the act of a troll. Um trolls are sincere. They 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 or they they come across as being sincere, but really the thing that they seem so passionate about. And the thing they seem so driven about a lot of times when you apply critical thinking and just do a tad bit, just an ounce of investigation, you'll find that the thing that they're making an issue about doesn't even exist. And now here we are, like the other thing that came up a week ago about how somebody said that dark patterns should not be called dark patterns. It's a derogatory statement. And I said, "Well, I happen to be a darker uh-huh. complexed person." Yeah, I heard I about have, this. And and uh it's not it's a dark pattern, okay? Do you know how many things in societies have a a color or an implied element of color applies to it and it's not derogatory. It's called a dark pattern for a reason. Fine. There's dark patterns, there's black lists, there's a whole bunch of different things. There's that, white air force ones. Yeah. There's, and, and, and these things are, they're, 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 they're just communicating. It's not a big deal. And then people who are not dark complexion do not have a dark complexion are now trying to tell me what does and does not offend me. That, that's a bit ironic. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's absolutely ironic. And then on top of that, I said, there are approximately, I just threw a number out there. There's about 7,000 more issues in the world of UX that need our attention before what we call a dark pattern. So If, you really, if you're really concerned about how dark people with dark complexions are treated, how about treating us fair in the, <laughs> in the, uh, in the job application process? How about treating us fair when, I mean, I, I have a project that I'm working on, I've talked about it before called If I Was White. I mean, do you realize where I would be today doing what I do if I wasn't black? <laughs> I get that. I mean, but it's ridiculous. You know, people, um, all these
0: issues that are non issues, but but it just leads to to this whole thing of at the root of it for UX and for UI professionals, aren't we supposed to be holistic enough to understand? Yes. Viewpoints. Yes. That's and what we do, isn't it? It is. Which is which is. Which why this stuff is sort of it's ironic. I don't want it, I don't want it to demean anything because I usually try to stay you know in the middle. But so, some of this is just ridiculous to me and and a waste of time with everything else going on in the world and let alone our own profession. Right? It's just yep. it's contradictory.
1: And I am I am on record as saying it, so I will repeat it. It is a
0: bit hypocritical. It's it's, it's totally per- hypocritical because <laughs> because I'm hired. To stay neutral, in my viewpoint. Yep. Understand what the problem is. Yep. And 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 help users make things easier for them. Yep. yep. And if I spend my time fighting with each other over what you think they said or what they implied. Shadowboxing. I mean, why not just... <laughs> Call him up and ask him. then that's exactly what I said.
1: I said, <laughs> I mean, if you really, if you really are concerned about Don Norman, Don Norman actually does respond to some people when they reach out to him, if he feels it's worth his time. And if you approach him in a professional, and respectful manner, you can get input. I said, just reach out to Don Norman and ask him. If you're concerned about it, but don't, but don't try one of the things I found that trolls, especially people who've been in UX for like three minutes, as I like to say figure of speech of course yeah yeah the the minute for a very times they they take great joy in making people who've been in UX for a long time irrelevant
0: and they will work to make you irrelevant but you can't make <laughs> us irrelevant i'm going to say this i've been in UX for 20 years you can't make me irrelevant right now yep, you can't you can't i mean <laughs> there's nothing i mean you can i mean you can you can try to go to my employer. You could tell them my viewpoints, which by the way, you don't know because I'm hardly ever posting <laughs> because I know if I post, I have, I will probably get trolls. I'll be honest with you. I will probably yeah. get people coming after me. I contribute, but I'm not in a position where I want to create non nonsense. I just don't. Yeah. And, and my viewpoint does not matter to you unless I impact you, right? My viewpoint matters to my employer and my clients because I impact them and potentially their bottom line with my knowledge and my expertise. Yep. My viewpoint does not impact you. You might get your feathers ruffled or something like that. But at the end of the day, if I'm impacting you and ruffling your feathers, I apologize, but I'm not going to change my viewpoint that I think that sometimes people take words with people and try to twist them around and make them bigger deals than they are at the end of the day.
1: Bingo. And it's funny. You mentioned when I, in my EQ series, uh, I talked about Adele Lynn, who's my favorite, uh, EQ author by far, but I extended and I have my own additional EQ model. And one of the things I talked about that is critical part of EQ having a strong EQ is
0: neutrality. Yes, (laughs) but it takes, but it takes, it takes a long time to get there because if you talk to my, if you talk to my brother, my wife, my past employer, I was a lightning rod. Yeah, I was, I was a huge lightning rod uh, because I would make definitive statements and then have to walk them back all the time. That's why when we talk about stuff like this, if you hear my, the patterns in my voice, I'm very thoughtful about what I'm going to say next. Yeah. So therefore I'm very neutral in what I say. So therefore right. if someone's listening to this, they can't come, they, they'll come back on LinkedIn. They'll come back on my Twitter and tell me this or that, but I know exactly what I said because I'm always neutral in these conversations. Yep.
1: yep. And, and I, I've had people go as far and I don't really, when you think about it, uh, a lot of people find a lot of things I say provocative. I think that's one of the words I heard somebody use. You know, we need to have Derek come and speak in this event because he'll be provocative. I said, no, I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> and it's, it's not really as groundbreaking and earth shattering as people claim
0: that it is. No, but, but it's probably more insightful what they're used to. Yeah. Based upon a <laughs> previous conversation about the speaking engagement that you had today. Again, see how I'm saying this yeah. with one of the with one of the presenters that you had to work with. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you, you take that experience that they had along with yours. You probably have more definitive tone, probably statements instead of questions. Yeah. That's why you're provocative. Right. Yeah. That's why people sometimes think I'll say it myself, I'm provocative. People still to this day don't understand what I do. And I and I say that as a holistic thing. I'm like, well, what yeah. do you do? And I'm like, well, I've I've been through this routine for 20 years. So I just say I build interfaces at this point, yeah. Right. Or or depending upon I build I build interactive experiences depending upon where the person sits in 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 leadership or also also academic. You know what they can what they what they can relate to and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not being provocative, right? I, I'm just. I just know what I'm talking about at this point.
1: Yeah. And people, for some reason, I found a lot, the average person today is offended by authority.
0: Yeah. I I think it's (laughs) knowledge too, right? Yeah. Without the simple fact that you have to go to Google and Google things and that it comes with, but, but also let's be honest with it. You and I have experience with this. Yeah. and I have knowledge with it and yes I could be intimidating when I talk to people because and so can you because I will talk to you about UI UX and then you switch to to back-end development fine I'll talk to you about that too and you think it's not sort of a gamesmanship or anything else but I can handle these conversations look something that's interesting I haven't mentioned on this at all I'm a consultant right Mm -hmm. this is just a list of industries I have knowledge on right now Aerospace, Mm -hmm. gas, consumer goods, um, cars, not only cars, but luxury cars. Mm -hmm. I have experience with the DOD. I have experience with um, music in the music industry. Um, I have experience with wholesalers, uh, importers and exporters, pharmacy. So any of those companies I can talk about and not only talk about but have an engaging conversation about, and also tell you what I've done with them and work with them in terms of UI UX. And these just aren't mom mom and pop. I'm talking Fortune 500 companies um, with, with a lot of meat and potatoes behind them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yes, that can sometimes become intimidating and I get embarrassed sometimes. I'll be honest with you. And this isn't my ego speaking. This is just me as a person. I sometimes get embarrassed and embarrassed What to tell people what I work on. Right. My son went to school the other day and told one of his friends that I was, I don't know how the conversation came up and I have an, I have NDAs all over the place. We talked about this up the wazoo. Right. So my son can't talk about what I do, but he knows what I do sometimes with who, and he told this person who I'm working for at this point point. And the person kid looked at him and said, no, your father's not working for that person. Can't be. And worked around, walked, walked away. Not the person, <laughs> but, the, but the organization. Right? right. And I'm like, this is, this happens to me all the time. Right. So, and it probably happens to you when you have conversations and, and, and it's just one of those things where you can see people just losing interest because they don't understand what we do. I see the
1: thing that happens to me that that conversation reminds me of is, I make a statement and the response to the statement is I remember I was on a panel recently, give it a full blown example. I was on a panel and I made a comment and someone asked me, I can't remember the exact word, but I don't think the word itself is important, but the person asked me what that term meant to me. And I went, excuse me, you know, what so I was thinking, right. <laughs> and, and I knew because people don't realize I've been doing this for a long time. When you, at a certain point in time, when you're doing, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, when you've been doing UX for X amount of time, once you cross a certain threshold, you really become a design psychologist.
0: Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, people so, psychologists, yeah, too, because you, you watch people differently. Yeah. Like my wife is amazed at the conversations (laughs) I can hear across the table and imagine and what people wear and how they interact and what, (laughs) what, what, what hand they eat with. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but you're absolutely (laughs) correct on
1: it. And it's all you, you read people with no effort. Oh yeah. uh, Because we spend, I mean, you know, I don't know how many people's hands I've been inside of for the last 25 years, because that's what we do. We live, the UX professional lives inside the head of the users of whatever you're designing for. We, And that's how we're successful, because we were inside your head. We know how you think, we know your mental models, we know you backwards and forwards, and you start to get, uh, I always make reference to the movie Equilibrium, I'm a big movie boss. And that movie with Christian Bale, he was the the emotion police. And when I saw that movie the first time and he said that line, it's my job to know what you're thinking. I left the movies, Dennis, right there. I sort of my body was there, but I left and I was just thinking that's what we do as UX people. It's my job to know what you're thinking. And so when that person said, what does that word mean to you? Um, I immediately realized what he was doing. He doubted that I knew what the word meant. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to hear what I had to say. And oh, don't do that. Especially <laughs> when I realize what you just did. <laughs> you know, it's funny little thing. Little. I, I was reading, I've been reading since I was two. I got triple promoted out of kindergarten. My mother said no, they oh, put wow. me in the second grade. So, uh, cause she graduated when she was 14 and she didn't want me to go through that because she felt that she missed some things from an interpersonal right, right. standpoint. So she only let them double promote me. But I say that to say that I've always been faster. I've always, uh-huh. she was trying to teach me three languages when I was four, okay? This is just, I, I don't like group learning sessions because it goes too slow for me. This is, <laughs> okay. give it to me and I bam, bam, bam. And I'm done and I walk out. I'm done. I'm done in five minutes. You can do it for 30 minutes if you want. I'm done in five. That's just, and I'm, I'm still wired like this. And, and having to explain to people that I'm not ignorant. That, that's part of the, if I was white challenge. That's part of that project in that okay. a lot, people assume they don't care that I'm, a, that I'm a, a doctoral candidate. They don't care about that. And a lot of times they don't know. I went to return something to a store the other day and a guy ran a game on me. Oh, you can't return. You bought this online. You can't return it here. And I know there's policies, but the customer service guy told me to take it back to the store. So I'm here because the guy, I just got off the phone with the guy. I can call him and he'll me. tell you. So this guy, he, go, he assumes I'm stupid. So he tells me, well, you can't return it here. Well, so I, then I told him. He said, Well, no, I'm gonna call the owner right now. This is a, a nationwide organization. You did not just pick up the phone and call the owner. No, you didn't. But but I'm 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 just a little dumb Negro guy. That just so I'm not supposed to <laughs> I'm not supposed to know this. And and uh he so he runs the game and then he gets off the phone. And he said, okay, well, you probably already know this. I can't do this, that, and the other. I said, well, yeah, I know. I mean, I actually work with people. I talk to people exactly like you so we can help to optimize their e-commerce experiences so the customers are, and I went yada, yada, yada. And I start, bam, 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 and tell them all the things I know about how e-commerce is supposed to go. And he tells me, I'm actually gonna see him again soon, but uh, he goes to tell him, you know, can you imagine what would happen to our business if we had to take returns back? I said, I understand what you're saying. I left it at that. I didn't tell them, but I know if your company treasured and valued their business at all, they would allow returns from internet purchases. And then they would actually, you you give me the refund and then they refund you. That's the way it would do. That's why Amazon gets the business they get because their policies are so great and they care about their customers. You obviously don't. That business will be closed in five years. I basically have written it down. We'll see if that company exists in five years because it was going to cost me $121 to ship that merchandise back. You think I'm, because they were going to make me pay for it. You were not going to be in business. Returns are a thing. Returns are life. Deal with it. But, but the fact that the guy, that guy was talking to me, he assumed I was stupid. The guy in the panel discussion, we were all vetted out to make sure we were all screened, to make sure that we should be on this panel. These were all manager level UX professionals that were (laughs) on this panel. And the guy just did that, and I'm not supposed to know that you're, you're actually trying to check me and see if I know what I'm talking about. So I went into professor mode and I began the lecture. (laughs) Not for a long time, but just to let you know, I'm gonna answer your question and I'm gonna let you know what I know. I'm going to be succinct, but I'm going to let you know what I know. And you're not going to do that to me again for the rest of this, this little stint that we have here. This, some of the challenges, it's just, it's just interesting. And and trolls go as far as, so back to that, trolls go as far as to checking with people to find out what my work email address is so that they can flame me. So uh, when I say the things that I say, yeah, people come after me, they come after me at work. So when people hear me on LinkedIn talking about trolls, they don't necessarily understand the whole story because I've never told anybody. That's a lot of effort. Yeah, it is. (laughs) I mean, that's a lot of effort. It takes less less effort to look
0: at what I said with a critical eye. But see, again, it just goes back to the whole point. I don't know what people are trying to to gain from this. It's amazing. Because we're all looking for employment. We're all supposed to help each other out. And then this whole other thing with gatekeepers now, right now I'm a gatekeeper Uh, because I've been in it for 20 years. I'm not trying to keep you out of, if you want to come work for my employer, I'll be more than happy to give them your resume.
1: Yeah.
0: Just just ask me. We're not gatekeepers, we're gateways. Uh, I mean, (laughs) it's just, I'm not trying to keep anybody down, nor have I ever. I mean, if you don't have the skills, then yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be working in it. But other than that, I mean. Even the gatekeeping
1: is a product of trolls. Because gatekeeping, the way that they're speaking of it, is
0: a slang definition, number one. Well, what is a, it, wait, wait, I, I'm sorry, continue with that, because it, I want to know what, even, what it even means. Does it mean that I have a job that
1: you want? No, they, it's their way to complain because they think that people are keeping them out of jobs. They, they act like, based on what they describe, we are there it's not happening. They think that we're in the ear of the hiring manager and the recruiters stopping people from hiring them. Nobody's doing any of that. All of that stuff is imaginary. It's totally imaginary. Matter of fact, I, I talked recently, uh, I did something on on a medium called the UX, the, the UX Job Seekers Manifesto. And one of the things I talked about was how that basically that whole piece was about making sure that you have the right mindset in job seeking so you can go forward. These people who have this, you're a gatekeeper mentality are the same people that don't know how to interview the same people that, that do have terrible resumes, the same people that just looking for something to complain about the same people that have been fighting against authority since they were five, (laughs) the same people, (laughs) they have no, if, if you take that into a, a court of peers and look at it for what it really is, there is no gatekeeping. It's uh, and, and I said,
0: it, it's we're not gatekeepers. We're gateways. We right, because are, if, I, if, if because if we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, the more people I can help out, the better yeah. it is for me, because if yep. something happens to me, then I got to network with you yep. in order to get in where you're at. So it makes absolutely no sense. why I would keep you out of the job market. Yeah, None. nobody's. It, it's all a figment of somebody's imagination. And
1: I have encountered multiple people who teach at boot camps that are actually feeding people with this mindset.
0: Oh, that's special. Yeah,
1: That person is a gay. They, what did they tell you? They're being a gatekeeper. Wow, that was nice and simple and convenient. You and I,
0: you and I probably should have to have a talk about <laughs> uh, boot camps. We can't do that today, but I, I think that's a whole nother conversation. Definitely.
1: definitely. We're going to end with our standard ending question here. What advice do you have, Dennis, for up-and-comers in the discipline today?
0: Yeah, so, so this is a great question to end with. Um, one, a couple, couple of them, just not one piece, is, is increase your emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. understand different people's positions, also have, people talk about this all the time, but it, it's hard to do, constructive criticism. Talk to people. If you hear people telling you that everything's good on your resume, everything's great, then you're not talking to the right people. The first (laughs) thing I ask about, the first thing I ask my manager about every month and a half or anybody is don't tell me the good stuff. I, I care about the good stuff. The good stuff is great. Tell me the bad stuff. Yep. You got five minutes to tell me all the bad stuff. I want to hear it. And by the time the third month comes around, you might hear zero or nothing. Take constructive criticism, and not only take it, but ask for it. Be yep. receptive of it. And one one final thing, two final things is is just because in your the UX profession, understand what other people do on teams and how products are made, and and what what they think. You don't necessarily yep. have to do their job, but just understand it, some, some empathy in there, right? Understand what people do. So therefore you just don't think everything's easy. And the final piece, a lot of people don't do. And, and, and it came to me because of, of what I do is, is get outside your comfort zone and do public speaking, not podcasts are great and everything else, but get in front of people, talk to people because that's where you're going to sell your ideas. That's how you're going to do your interviews. That's how you get leadership roles. You're going to have to get outside of it and talk to leaders about what they want. So public speaking is is, is one, of the, one thing I would like to end with and, and one of the things that you might want to do for uh, up-and-comers.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. So that will end it for this time because we got to have Dennis back. Lots of fantastic input. Uh, I know people are going to enjoy this and get a lot out of it. So thank you again for joining me on the show. Thank you. For, for being a part and for sharing. I, I tell people again all the time, there's a lot of voices in the world of UX today that we don't need to hear. I'm trying to use my platform to bring you voices you do need to hear that can vault everybody forward. And we wish everybody success and we want folks to be hopeful and continue to press forward. If you're new in UX, keep pressing forward. We, we're giving you things to help you out with that we're not here to make you feel good we're not here to coddle you we're here to build you uh accurately so that you can be sound in your in your practice and in your growth as a practitioner so folks that is all the time we have for today it is time to sign off so this is darren hood the host of the world of ux thanks for joining us today and until next time happy uxing everybody